Take up your cross and follow Christ, nor think till death to lay it down, for only those who bear the cross may hope to wear the glorious crown. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I need the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon my lips to faithfully expound on your word today. For these, your beloved children, Lord, and all of us need the anointing of your Holy Spirit on our ears and on our hearts to receive what you have for us. Lord, let what is said and done here in this service today glorify the mighty name of Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. What's nice about having uh, somebody, uh, Megan, who's not with us today, of course, but who's planning the music, she's looking at the lectionary page and lining things up thematically with the hymns, and so that was uh, the perfect hymn to sing before we hear what we hear from Jesus today. Um, Jesus, we're in Luke chapter 14, if you want to follow along in your Bibles or in the bulletin, Jesus uh, clearly had, uh, before this scene, driven down I-4 in Altamont Springs, Because he said, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Nobody knows the real name is the Majesty Building. We call it the I-4. I-Sore. The hurricane memes have abounded. Uh, it's funny because we see the absurdity of starting a project, getting into an endeavor for which we are not ultimately prepared to finish. Now, I hear the building is being finished, which is great. Good for them. They're trying to do it debt-free. But there's a point here for us today. It's Jesus' point about following him. There is a cost to be counted. You see, he is... Uh, Speaking, Luke is kind of what he's what he's giving us an image of is of uh, a number of neutral crowds who are following Jesus, who have somewhat of an interest in him. And we know at this point in Luke's gospel, he's continuing uh, on his death march towards Jerusalem to bear the cross. And so he wants the crowds to hear loud and clear that there's no such thing as half hearted discipleship. Because he's showing them what I'm doing right now, marching to my own death, is going to be required of you in a number of senses if you are going to be my disciple. Now, friends, here's the good news. This is a challenging passage. Jesus has been throwing down the gauntlet in the Gospel of Luke, hasn't he? These last three chapters, especially 12, 13, and 14, have been difficult. But the good news is that what Jesus requires of us, we get back in deeper intimacy with him. We get back in deeper joy in our life with him. And so I want us to look today as a church and to talk about what it means to count the cost. Because friends, nothing compares to the surpassing beauty of Jesus. I just love him. Do you love him? He's amazing. He's everything. He died for us, friends. I don't have a profound message today, really just to to speak about the gospel and who Jesus is. But I want to say this. I've heard before people say, you know, there's a lot of people who will make it in the end to heaven and into the new creation because they accepted Jesus as their savior and their sins were forgiven. 
even though they didn't really deal with all of these different issues in their life, uh, the different sins and, and things like that, they'll still get there because of that. I have somewhat of a problem with that. Now, I believe we are saved by grace, but you see, friends, the grace of Jesus Christ transforms us. And if we are people who are filled with his spirit, we are able to overcome the things that we are enslaved to that hinder our relationship with him. And so what Jesus is actually teaching today is not about himself as savior so much as about himself as Lord. And so for people who, who say you could have him as savior or in the things they say imply that you could have him as savior, but not as Lord, I think that's a huge problem. And I think it was for Jesus. And I think Jesus is trying to guard us in his shepherding love against thinking that that's okay. Thinking that we can, we can kind of ignore him as Lord over our lives. It's just the important thing is that we've accepted him for the forgiveness of sins. Friend, there's so much more to life than that. There's so much more to life with Jesus than that. He says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> Somehow, um, recently, my daughter picked up the word hate in her vocabulary, like, oh, here's some sauerkraut. I hate that. And we've been trying to eliminate it from her vocabulary, uh, telling her, let's not use that word. Let's say something different. Like, I don't prefer sauerkraut. Um, and, but now she recognizes the word when she hears it, you know, on a radio program or on TV or something. And she'll say, someone said, hey, you shouldn't say that. But you see, we think of hate as um, intense, passionate dislike or scorn. But uh, hate, and the way Jesus is using it, it's an ancient Semitic term for loveless. It has to do with allegiance. Where is your primary allegiance? Jesus would never violate all of the commandments and all of the rest of the biblical testimony to love and take care of your family. But he's talking about where our allegiance lies here. The willingness to give our allegiance to Jesus, even over our closest relationships if they're at risk. Imagine the 16-year-old boy who came home in ancient Palestine and said to his, his Jewish father, Papa, I met the Messiah today. He was amazing. He healed a blind man in front of us and he taught us about the kingdom of God. I want to follow him. And the father replies, enough of that nonsense. I'm tired of hearing about this Jesus of Nazareth nutcase. If you're going to follow him, you will find another place to live. And imagine over the centuries and over the millennia, the amount, the number of people who have given up even their own families to make him Lord, who have given up their own lives to make him Lord. Now, the situation for us, I think, that's particularly relevant today is that Jesus has to be Lord of our lives. What he has written in his word, you see, this is inspired by his Holy Spirit. So we can never separate Jesus as a nice, loving man from what is written here because it's a, it stands on his authority as a person. And the fact that he was raised from the dead vindicates him and his word. One of the Psalms says, oh God, you have elevated your word above your name. That's how highly God thinks of his authoritative word to us. And so one of the situations for us is that we are required to follow Jesus as Lord even when it conflicts with culture. And friends, if you haven't figured this out already, it will. The word of God will conflict with culture. And I'm not going to go into a bunch of specific issues today. You can probably guess some of the things that conflict with what God says in his word. Issues dealing with sexuality. Issues uh, dealing with b b life in the womb. And God's word has much to say about those things. But here's the question for us, friend. Will you speak of him? 
as your Lord? Will you act in his name? Will you find gracious and gentle ways of standing up for the truth of God's word when the rest of culture is moving in a different direction? Now, I love the Episcopal Church. I'm an Episcopal priest. I plan to stay one. But there is a lot going on in the Episcopal Church that is moving more in line with the culture that is opposed and in rebellion to God in a way from his word. And so that's why I say we have to stay here. We have to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, as one of our colleagues says, what is written here because we are, if we get untethered from it, our, our, our beliefs will be grounded in our feelings and in what the culture says rather than in the eternal, perfect word of God. Are you with me? Matthew 5 chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, this is not about just name dropping, going around and be like, hey, do you know Jesus, the Savior? Do you know Jesus? Well, you're going to hell. It's not about that. It's not about thumping people with the scriptures and and going about. You see, speaking of Jesus and serving other people in his name should become natural for people who are filled with the Spirit. It should not just be unnatural. Although it takes, there's a learning process there and God is gracious and patient. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Now some people say, I just don't know what to say. I don't, I just don't do it because I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. So you can let go of the anxiety. And then he makes a promise for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. When I see someone across the coffee shop and I start planning about how the conversation's going to go and I go over there, it's far less effective than when I listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit that says, go engage in conversation with that person and I'll give you the words and I follow that and I do it. Many more things happen when I, when I do it that way. You see, the Holy Spirit is there for us. And if we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, we don't even need a plan to proclaim him as Lord of our lives. It will just happen because we're always listening to his voice and his direction. You see, friends, we have to get into his presence. We have to be a people of Jesus's presence. We have to be the, the, the Mary of Bethany who sits in his presence, who chooses the best thing. Because how can we say that we want to spend eternity with him in all of his glory and splendor, but we live life as if he only exists on Sunday? You know, for some of us, Jesus is not in the driver's seat of the car. We, we let him out. When we come to church on Sunday and then afterwards we say, all right, Jesus, shut up. Get back in the trunk. Don't embarrass me. Don't embarrass me. I can't say that about what your word says around my friends because they, they won't like me. Stay in the trunk. Friends, Jesus, he's Lord. He's king. He won't take any other seat in the car of discipleship, if you will, than the driver's seat. And that's what he's saying to us in our passage today. It's so profoundly important to take him at his word. You know, the psalm we just recited together, Psalm 139, beautiful psalm, beautiful psalm about how God's loving kindness and care is over every facet of our life. It reminded us that God discerns our thoughts from afar and knows every word on our lips before we speak it. Now, this doesn't mean like he's spying on us and waiting for us to step out of line and say something wrong. But what it does mean is that he cares about And notices how we use this tongue. And he's glorified when we use it 
to exalt the name of Jesus before other people in both word and deed. Amen? Verse 27, Jesus says this. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to bear a cross? If you lived in the ancient Roman world, you would know. It it meant that if you were carrying a cross, you were marching towards your own demise. Undoubtedly, there was no hope left. It was gone. Friends, Jesus, our Lord, would become all too familiar with this reality on our behalf. You see, friends, here's the thing. Dying to ourselves, it's not natural. It's not natural. In fact, everything in our sinful nature bears its teeth and fights against it. Oh, I don't want to give up the bad eating habits that I have because it comforts me. I I deserve to harbor this bitterness in my spirit because that person hurt me. I don't want to stop drinking or, or smoking because it's my way to unwind after the hard day's work. I deserve it. I'm not really the talk to people about Jesus type. I'm more of an introvert. Friends, have you thought about this? How, how sometimes we, we've become so adjusted and comfortable with, with many of the behaviors and habits in our lives that we can't even see anymore that they're hindering our fellowship with God and our growth in Christ. It's, it's truly, it's the reason so many of us struggle to grow in Christ, to leave a place of immaturity and actually grow, grow in our walk with Him, grow in our boldness to Him. You see, I've heard so many people that we, we justify and we disguise sinful habits and things where Jesus isn't Lord over our lives by, by writing them off as personality traits. Have you ever heard someone say like this? Oh, you know, old Leroy, he's just kind of a grumpy old guy. No, he's a man who's let resentment and bitterness get so deep and pervasive in his heart that he no longer recognizes it as a stronghold of Satan that is keeping him from growing close to the Lord. Oh, you know, Richie, he just likes to have a few whiskeys every night to unwind before bed. No, he's an alcoholic. And Jesus is not Lord of his life in that area. Oh, you know, Marva, she kind of lets us all know what's going on behind the scenes at the church. No, she's a gossip and she is spreading slander about other people. You see, friends, these aren't personality issues. These are Jesus as Lord issues. Is Jesus Lord of every area of my life, my vocabulary, my actions, my beliefs, everything? He says, I can't be your Lord if I can't be Lord of everything. It's that, don't get mad at me. It's just what he says, friends. But you know what? He's amazing. He's worth it. You'll gain everything in return by dying to everything else. You'll draw, draw closer to him and enjoy the fullness of his presence. Is what he wants for all of us. He really does. So here's a, here's a painful practice for all of us, myself included. Ask God, Lord, reveal those hidden faults in me. Reveal those things that I have normalized as part of my personality in my life that are hindering my fellowship and my growth in you. And Holy Spirit, help me to die to those things. You see, you can't do it by just clenching your own teeth and trying harder. We need him and he'll give us the power. He'll give us the strength to overcome those things. The psalmist wrote, who can discern their own errors? Forgive me my hidden faults. Now, here's the paradox about taking up your cross and dying to yourself. Whether it's a moral issue, whether it's a uh, I don't ever talk about Jesus to anyone issue, whether it's a relationship issue. Here's the paradox about taking up your cross and dying to yourself. It's the only way to truly live. You see, friends, Jesus, he'll never violate our identity. He'll never violate our identity. 
but he will challenge us to go through the painful process that we need to go through to live deeper into his design for us. Does that make sense? He'll never violate who you are, your identity, but he'll, he'll call you to make sacrifices that will, are, will be the only way to live into the design and purpose he has for your life so that you can find joy. You see, everybody wants joy. Everybody wants happiness. I, I just to, just to get a glimpse of how much I Google searched the other day, how to be happy. You know how many results I got? 7,444,000,000 website results. Not, not exaggerating. How to be happy. 20 ways to be happier today. Forbes. 45 ways to be happier instantly. Huffington Post. How to be happy. Seven steps to becoming a happier person. WebMD. Don't go on there. How to be happy. 23 ways to be happier. Psychology today. And Jesus says, you want true happiness? Die to yourself and come follow me. And you will gain everything. Paul was writing to the Colossians and he said this, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. A picture of tender intimacy of him holding us in his bosom because we've died to ourselves. You see, friends, we don't realize, we don't remember, we need to be remembered and we're sacramental Christians, so we really need to believe this and remember this. What happened to us in that baptismal font? Or or if you were like me and you were a non-denominational boy, what happened to you in the river or lake? In 52-degree Michigan weather, it's a story for another time. Paul says this about our baptisms, our baptismal identity, if you will. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Now there's something about, I love sprinkling water. It's beautiful. It's completely valid. Okay. Water, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those are the, those are the foundations of valid Christian baptism. But there is something about full immersion baptism and the imagery of it because it is a person going completely underwater and being submerged. It's an imagery of drowning in the most beautiful way and coming back up as a new person. With the old self dead and the new self completely filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus and his resurrection power to walk out a new life. Wow. Friends, some of us need to recover our baptismal identity. Right? We always say, it's not a matter if the Christian has the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of the Holy Spirit has the Christian. Are we walking in new life? Are we walking in the newness of life where Jesus is Lord over everything? You see, death for Christian is always an invitation into a deeper walk of life. If God is trying to kill something in me, it's not because he wants to sadistically rip something away that makes me happy. It's because he sees that what I think makes me happen is often more like an infection in my life that's depriving me of living into the fullness of who he made me to be. You see, it's all an act of love, even when Jesus is severe with us and he says, I need to deal with this in your life. And some of us here today know what Jesus is putting his finger on. I do. In my life, I do. And by his mercy and by his grace, we will do it. We will die to it. See, I truly believe that so many Christians struggle in their spiritual lives they're they're dry in their spiritual lives 
They're surviving on spiritual happiness, superficial happiness, just grasping at one thing after another to stay distracted, to try to stay happy. It's, it's, it's the food, it's the Starbucks drinks, it's the TV, it's the novels, it's the experiences, it's the cruises, it's the vacations, it's the Disney World, it's everything. Trying to keep ourselves superficially happy. Because if we look too deep, we'll see there are crosses in my life that Jesus is calling to me to bear that I am ignoring. And friends, the beautiful thing is this, when we start listening, And we dig deep and we let God go deep with us and let him show us and say, my son, my daughter, just let me show you this. I will, I will help you. I will take this away from you. I will give this to you. I will enable you for this form of service I'm calling you to. We'll find freedom. We'll find freedom. In fact, when you find freedom, you sometimes didn't even realize that you weren't free until you find the freedom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Oh, Lord, show us the truth about what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. Now, those crosses will differ for all of us, what Jesus is calling us to bear to follow him. For some of us, it's a habit that God wants to take away from us, something that's, that we've become dependent on for pleasure. For some of us, it's being called to serve in a particular way that we don't find attractive or really appealing. Can I just say this? I'm trying to be nice here, but can we just do away with the whole, uh, oh, that's not my calling thing? Friends, if you've got the time, and you got the energy, and there's a need, you're, we're called to be servants. You step into the gap. If, if, we can't be, if we can't steward a little, God won't give us the greater things that we really want to run after. You see? Now, we, that goes without saying. We acknowledge all of the wonderful volunteers in this room today, <laughs> church volunteers. But some of you could step up to the plate. <clears throat> For some of us, the cross is to stop being ashamed of the name of Jesus. You've heard me, I've beat this dead horse over and over. But it's impossible to live our lives out as a Christian and never have his name on our lips or showing through our attitudes. Our friends and our family, they should see the life of Jesus flowing in and through us. They should hear his name so that they can glorify God. They should look at us and say, I don't really agree with everything they believe, but this whole Jesus thing, it has really changed them. They're different. They have a joy that other my other friends don't have. They have a joy that I don't have. They're, they're able to say no to certain things that I find myself enslaved to. You see, they should see it because they'll see that God is real in that. Our lives are the greatest testimony to the truth of who Jesus is. Our everyday lives, whether at work, around our families, around our friends, at church, our lives are the greatest display of who Jesus really is. Now, here's what it's really all about, like I said at the beginning. It's about the surpassing beauty of Jesus. Friends, I want to get to a place where I just, I want nothing but Him. I want nothing but Him because He's everything. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the eternal creator God. He's the one who became a man and bled and died for our sins. Not just the ones we committed in the past, but the ones that we're struggling with right now and letting ourselves stay addicted to and enslaved to. And the more he becomes everything, the more he becomes beautiful to us, the easier we'll find it to walk away from all that other junk. Now, here's the thing. If you hear anything today, please hear this. Because Jesus bore a cross that we could not bear. We are able to bear the crosses that he calls us to bear. You see, because he bore the cross and bore our sin that we could not pay for on our own, 
and have died to purify us and make us a spotless bride before our heavenly father and filled us with his Holy Spirit, we are able to carry the crosses that he calls us to bear. You see, we, we sometimes we immediately go to thinking about how I can just try harder, how I can add things to the checklist, how I can pick myself up by my bootstraps and really make a go at this Jesus thing even harder when I, when I wake up tomorrow. But friends, let go of that mindset. Because if it doesn't start with resting in him, resting in his perfect salvation, you, you are saved. He has shed his blood for you to be a pure and spotless bride before the heavenly father. He has forgiven everything you've ever done. And it's about resting in his presence and allowing his life and his spirit to have a deeper and more powerful place in our lives. Because when we do that, it's like us stepping out of the way and saying, Jesus, you take over. You defeat this thing. You give me boldness in the culture. You give me boldness around my friends and family to make you known. And he will. He will. So it's not about striving. It's about getting into his presence more so that his life flows through us. Friends, that five, five minutes in the car on the way to work, it's just not going to cut it. That's a, that's a place to start. But if we're not growing deeper and deeper into his presence, hungry for it, thirsty for it, that's why so many of us are like living in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Because he's saying like, he's going like this and saying, come to me, I'm the fountain of living waters. I'll refresh you with water. You're, you'll never thirst again. And we're over here trying to eat sand in the desert to, to fulfill our desires. See, he's so beautiful, friends. He has so much and he has everything to offer us. It's not about what we can do. It's about clinging to him, loving him above all else and letting his resurrection life transform us. Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite uh, books, series. If you haven't read the books, at least watch the movies, please. There was only like one person last night in the chapel out of almost 30 people who, who said they had seen it or read it. You've got to watch it. But there's a scene in the book towards, towards the end and Frodo and Samwise, Gamgee, his friend, are, have made this long, arduous journey. They're, they're bloodied, they're dirty, they're making their way up Mount Mordor to get rid of the evil ring that has seductive powers and to, to take it to the only place that it can be destroyed. And they're just, they're weary. And Samwise, Gamgee, says this to Frodo. I'm just going to read it to you. I know it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. They kept going. What a beautiful picture of discipleship because they were holding on to something. Friends, will you keep going? Will you keep pressing in? He loves you. He's drawing you in closer. Will you count the cost and say yes because you are holding on to something, because you are holding on to someone? And here's what you have to know. 
He's holding on to you. He is holding on to you. And he will not let go. He'll never run out of patience. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He'll never betray you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never plug his ears to your prayers even when you're in the most broken and sinful place in your life because he holds on to us and he will never lose his patience with us. I think that Jesus gave us the key in a couple verses here from John chapter 15. He's talking to his disciples and I think he gave us the key to how to live out faithful discipleship. It's all right here summarized in these two verses. Abide in me, he says, and I will abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Do you hear his heart? He desires us to be in his presence. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, You can do nothing. Friends, if we're not getting into that dwelling place with him, we won't be able to do it. We'll lose strength. We'll lose heart. We'll believe the enemy's lies of condemnation and shame and guilt. And we'll we'll stop running back to him. He's everything, friends. He's worthy. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing. Trying to bear our cross alone is a pointless and impossible endeavor. But you are lowly and humble in heart. You invite us into your yoke that is easy and your burden that is light. You walk alongside us, Lord. And you never let go. So as we count the cost of what it means to be your disciples... Lord, show us and remind us this isn't about what we can do in our own strength, but about what we can do when our lives abide in you. Lord, we love you. We invite you now here to be the king that you are so that we can sing your praises. Strengthen us, refresh us, Lord. Pour fresh love into our hearts this morning that we would be strong in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.